All right, when you found your seat, you can turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 2. We'll continue our study this evening through the book of 1 John, which, which helps us to determine how we can know that we know Him. How can we know we have a right relationship with God? 1 John chapter 2. And we'll be reading verses 7 through 11. But before we do, do you realize that an unsaved person has every right to look at each one of us? Each one of us who calls ourselves a Christian. And they have the right to expect us to live a life of integrity. If we are going to call ourselves Christians, or in other words, Christ-like ones, then we better look a lot like Christ. Or they have the right to say that, that we indeed do not look like Christians, and John would agree with those unsaved people. He would say, yes, your life should match what you say about yourselves. Are you really a Christian? If so, then it should be evidenced in the way that you act. We saw in chapter 1 that... Um, our right standing before God should be evidenced in the way that we believe, that we should believe the Gospel as it's presented in Scripture. And then in chapter 2, the first part, we saw that our lives, our, our walk should match the way that we talk or the way that we, we uh, say that we, we believe. And so if we expect to have an effective witness in our world, then we better be able to they would they should better be able to see an accurate picture of Jesus Christ in our lives. And John continues showing us how we can have a right relationship with God or how we can know we have a right relationship with God in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 7. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Tonight we're going to see that true believers reflect the light by loving others. True believers reflect the light by loving others. And it's basically broken down into two sections in this passage. The first one is found in verses 7 and 8, and that is the evidence of true life. And then in verses 9 through 11, we'll see the example of of true love. So first, in, in verses 7 and 8, we see the evidence of true life. John begins with the word beloved. And this, I think, is important because this is the first time he uses this term, beloved. He uses it when he's about to talk about this topic of love. And this is one of six times that he uses this word in this passage. And then he says that, I am not writing a new commandment, but an old one, one which you have heard. So what is this new commandment? 
Well, it cannot be referring to a new commandment of love that has been since the beginning. We know that this new commandment is talking about love because in verse 9, or I'm sorry, verse 10, it says, the one who loves his brother abides in the light. So he continues what he was, he was telling these people in, ver, uh, in verse 10. So this new commandment is talking about love. We'll see that later where John gets that from. But it can't be referring to love that the human race has because love is not an instinct. Love is not something that everyone has within them. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we are, we are born in sin and we are depraved. We are evil people by nature. We are not loving people by nature. So love is not an instinct. So, so John cannot be referring to when he says, you have had this from the beginning, he's not referring to the human race. He's also not referring to the, the Mosaic Law. When the command to love was first given, you remember in the Ten Commandments, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Instead, I believe John is talking about these individual readers, the love that they have had from the beginning. Notice what it says there in verse 7. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. And then he continues, the old commandment is the word which you have heard. So he's speaking specifically to his readers here. And he's saying, this commandment that you have had from the beginning, I am writing to you about. So, since the beginning of what, though? What, what are you talking about, John? Well, I believe that it's, it's in keeping with the first few verses of the book. Look back to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. Verse 2. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard and... What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. So, the point that John is making is this love that he is going to be talking about here in the next few verses is the love that you have had since the beginning of your salvation. And that should not be surprising to us because love is something that comes along with salvation. When God does a work within us, He does a work of transformation. He changes us to where we used to be haters of other people. We used to be haters of God. God does a work within us to change us so that now we have a love for God. And that's displayed in our love for others. And so this is what John is referring to. And he, he calls it an old commandment in chapter 2 and verse 7. An old commandment because it was something that they should have known from the Mosaic Law. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, they were commanded to love. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, the greatest of all commandments was to love. And so this was something that was not new to them. It should not have been new to them because it was given to them in the Old Testament and they should have understood it at their conversion. 
But he says, however, verse 8, on the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. Okay, so first he talks about an old commandment. He's saying this old commandment of love is not new. But now he's saying there is a commandment here to love that is new. So what is he referring to when he talks about this new commandment? Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And I alluded to this earlier, but I'd like you to see this for yourself. This is when the Pharisees were coming up to Jesus and asking Him questions. Matthew chapter 22. Let's begin reading in verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And He, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So the whole law, the Ten Commandments, could be summed up in two main commandments. Love of God and love of others. Now, as you're going back, turn to John chapter 13. On our way back to 1 John, we'll stop at John chapter 13. Because this, I think, is where John is getting this idea of this new commandment. This is something that Jesus had talked to him about and the other disciples in John chapter 13. Jesus is talking about his departure up to heaven. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So this is a new commandment that Jesus was giving to them. It was that they love one another. And John kind of repeats this in John chapter 15, verse 12, when he quotes Jesus saying, this is my commandment that you love one another. In 2 John chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which you had from the beginning that we love one another. Turn back to 1 John chapter 2. So he's saying we have a new commandment here about love. But it's not a new commandment in time because they had already been commanded to love, but rather it's a new commandment in quality. And there's two aspects that we should notice about the newness of this commandment. And that's found in verse 8. 1 John chapter 2, verse 8. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, notice, which is true in Him and in you. So the two aspects of its newness are that, that this new commandment is true in Him, and that it's true in you. The idea of, of this, uh, this phrase, true in Him, shows us the source and the example of true light. It's not new in that it was some kind of commandment that was totally um, unfamiliar to them. I mean, we are still to love others just like the Old Testament commandment, commanded, but it's new, rather, I said, in its quality, or we could say in its illustration. Because Jesus Christ 
personified love in a fresh, new way. Never had anybody displayed love so perfectly as Jesus Christ did. He raised love to a higher standard. And and in the process, He commanded us and His disciples to do the same. That we should raise our love to a higher standard. And so He exemplified what true love was. Jesus' death gave new meaning to what love is. And, um, and so that His love was not some sort of fuzzy feeling or some um, excitement within Him. Rather, it was displayed in, in, in an action that really sought the benefit of the receiver. And that is why John says that it's true in Him. Even though the Old Testament taught that, that believers are to love, never had it been so perfectly displayed than when Jesus Christ came. Jesus helped us to see what God's love was for us. Imagine how difficult it would be for the Old Testament saints to be able to see what God's love was like. Never had they seen it more clearly than when Jesus Christ came. When those, those people in the first century saw Jesus Christ come to the earth and instead of, of uh, bringing judgment, He brought mercy. And so that, this new commandment, John says, is new in him, or true in Him, but it's also true in you, meaning in His readers, in us. And this shows us the result of indwelling light. Jesus is the source and example of light and we have the result of what that light does within us. You see, when we become a believer, that darkness is passed away and the true light begins to shine. Look at the end of verse 8. Which is true in Him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This true light is already shining just means that true believers uh, display love as they grow in grace. And so this true light is, is displayed in, in a believer's actions. This is the only time that John uses this term or this phrase, true light. He also uses it um, in a different book, but the only time in 1 John where he uses it, he uses it in John chapter 1 and verse 9. But this refers, this idea of the true light refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we reflect that we have received the gospel of Jesus Christ when we display love to other people. This is what John is telling us. So turn with me to chapter 3 and verse 14 because I want to show you a little bit more about what does this mean that the darkness is passing and the true light is shining. Chapter 3 and verse 14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Okay, so if you remember from previous times that we looked at uh, this book, we have talked about this idea of darkness. Darkness basically has this idea of evil or, um, or sin. And we as believers are often referred to people who have come out of darkness and into His marvelous light. 
And so when John says in chapter 2, in verse 8, that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining, he's referring to sanctification. He's referring to the growth that is guaranteed in a believer's life. Life. The darkness is passing away, meaning the sin is being put away and the true light is already shining. Jesus Christ has shined the Gospel within us and as a result, we are uh, supposed to love. So the newness of this command to love one another is a newness of daily experience as the believer grows in love and increasingly puts away the darkness, the sin and the hatred and as he reflects the, the nature of Jesus Christ who is our, our exemplar, our perfect model. But why does John say that in verse 7 that we have a new or an old commandment, not a new one, and then in verse 8 he says, but, I, but on the other hand, we do have a new commandment. Well, I think he's, he's uh, giving us what I would call a paradox. He's looking at it from one side. He's saying basically from one side, it's not new because we've always had this command to obey. But on the other hand, it is new because we've never seen love displayed like it was in Jesus Christ. And so now we have a greater example. We have a greater standard to live up to. No longer was it just something that we saw in, in word only. Now we saw, we saw it perfectly in the life of Jesus Christ. And that is our standard of love. And so John gives us the evidence of true life. If we want to uh, have assurance of our salvation, if we want to know that we know Him, then we should be participating in this new commandment which Jesus has given to us. This is a big part of what it means to be a Christian, to love. Because as we'll see in these next few verses, those who don't love are not believers. Those who do not love others have no confidence can have no confidence that they know Him. So, in verses 9-11, through we see the example of true love. And there's two examples that John gives to us. He gives us a negative example in verses 9 and 11, and he gives us a positive example in verse 10. So, let's begin with the positive example in verse 10. It says, The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. True assurance comes to those who love other believers. He breaks it down into basically two parts, this verse. He gives an action and a result. The action is the one who loves his brother. The result is two, twofold. He abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So if we need to follow this example that Jesus Christ has given us, and if we need to obey this command that John is giving to us, we need to understand what it means to love. Now, as you know, love is not the love that our world, uh, like the world tells tells us that it is. It is not a momentary flash of affection. It's not an infatuation or just a continual verbal affirmation, I love you, I love you, I love you. That is not love. Love is displayed in a continual attitude that results in action. 
And we'll see later that it doesn't matter how much we say that we love, if it doesn't show in our actions, then it's not love. If our actions show that we actually hate, then it doesn't matter how much we say that we love. We in fact do not. And we should have no assurance of salvation. So so love is a continual attitude that results in action. Love is the ultimate mark of abiding in Christ. And if you want to know what real love is, look at Christ. He put aside personal glory to come to the earth to save sinner, and He laid down His life for people who were not worthy of His sacrifice. For us. And John says in chapter 15 of his Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 13, there is no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That is what Jesus did for us. He left His heavenly throne, came down to earth as a servant when He deserved to be a king, and He laid down His life on our behalf. That is what love is. The point of, of Christ's example, I think, is found in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. Turn with me there. Chapter 3, verse 16. Christ gave us this example. Certainly, part of His His coming to earth was so that we could be saved. In fact, that was the main reason He came. But one of the secondary reasons that He came was to be an example for us. And John uh, touches on that when he comes to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us. And notice, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He doesn't say, we know love by this, that Christ laid down His life for us and we ought to tell other people that we love them. Or we ought to be filled up with affection for other people. No. We should have a continual attitude that puts our pleasure aside for the sake of others. That is what love is. We ought to lay our lives down for others. And so John says the action is that we love our brother, verse 10, and then the result is that we abide in the light and there is no cause for stumbling. So the first result is that we abide in the light. This is basically the idea of having saving faith. He's already used this term of abiding in the light when we were looking at 1 John chapter 1 and verses 5 through 10. If we abide in the light, then we are believers because we reflect the true source of light. God is light and He is basically the idea of truth and knowledge and purity. And if we are connected to the light, then we in essence are abiding in Him. And so John says, one of the ways that you can know that you abide in Him is by looking at your life. Do you love others? Are you sacrificially giving of yourself to others? And then he says the second result of loving others is that there is no cause for stumbling in him. Now, when we first look at this, we think, okay, well, maybe this means sinless. But turn back to chapter 1 and verse 8. 
we saw that there's no way that that can be. Chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. So John is in no way saying that there is no cause for stumbling in you, meaning there is no sin in you. If you love your brother, there's no sin in you. We reach this highest level of Christianity where we love people and all of our sin is, is set aside. That can never happen on this earth. As long as we live in a sin-cursed world within a sin-cursed body, operating under a sin-cursed mind, we cannot be sinless. John is very clear on that. So I would suggest to you that this idea of no cause for stumbling is the idea of not falling away, meaning perseverance. Turn to Second Peter chapter 1. If we love our brothers, we can make sure or we can be assured of our salvation. We can be sure that we are a child of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So Peter picks up on the same idea. You will never stumble. But notice the next verse. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So what is... Peter ultimately talking about. He's talking about our eternal security or our eternal uh, life, our eternal home with Jesus Christ. And so this idea of never stumbling means simply that we will never fall away. As we talked about, as the men talked this morning in the the, uh, Sunday school class, it is the idea of staying the course staying on the track, not giving up, not turning to the left or to the right, not being weighed down by sin, but staying the course all the way to the finish line till death. And that is what John is referring to here in in 1 John chapter 2. He's saying, there will be no cause for stumbling. You will not give up on the race if you love your brother. Now, again, he's not saying that you earn your salvation by loving others. We've already looked at that, that we must believe and understand what John is saying, that those who have been saved will persevere, will continue in what God has called them to, not the other way around. It sounds like a small or a minor technicality, but it's actually uh, something that is a matter of life and death spiritually. Our uh, obedience is a result of our salvation. Our salvation is not a result of our obedience. And the same thing is true about our love. So John gives us a positive example in verse 10. If we love others, we can be guaranteed that we are a believer of Jesus Christ. But then he gives a negative example because the danger is that we, we don't practice this concept of love. Look at verse 9 with me. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness 
until now. So again, like in previous chapters that we've looked at, we see a claim here by this false believer or this false professor of Jesus Christ. He basically says, I love other people. But it says here in verse 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother. You see, the, the proof of our salvation is not in our confession, what we say. The proof of our salvation is in how we live. A person's words are not the indicator of what is necessarily true. For example, I could say that I am a perfect driver. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I got a dirty look for my wife. I could say that I am a perfect driver, but if I never obey the speed limit, if I'm constantly getting in accidents, if I'm running up so many points on my driver's license that I get it taken away, then my actions will be proven will prove what I really am, that I'm not a perfect driver at all. And the same thing is true about our spiritual life. If our uh, lives, if our actions, our walk, our love in this case, do not match our claim, then it's worthless. It means nothing. We're not really telling the truth. And so John says, if you say you're in the light, but you hate your brother, you're really not. You're actually in the darkness. And as I said, this idea of of darkness is meaning that that you do not have spiritual life. Don't deceive yourself. You are not a believer if you hate your brother. So what does it mean to hate? What is what is hating a brother involved? This is obviously in contrast to loving a brother. And John often writes in these black and white terms, doesn't he? He calls he calls uh, believers truthful. He calls those people who are not believers a liar. He says that we walk in the light or we walk in the darkness. He says you're born of God later in chapter 3 or you're not born of God. He uses these terms and he, he paints it in, in these, uh, these pictures that are black and white. And he does it again here so that you can see the contrast between what true love is, Jesus Christ, and what true hatred is. Hating reveals ultimately that a person is in the darkness. And that means that they are separated from God. The idea of hatred is basically this habitual pattern of not loving or not giving of oneself, not displaying love to others, not showing forth in our actions. And in the Scriptures, hate and love are not primarily emotions as we think of them. Rather, they are attitudes that are displayed in our action. Turn to chapter 3 of 1 John and I'll show you that true love and true hatred is not an emotion. They are not emotions. They are attitudes that are displayed in action. Chapter 3, verse 13. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brother. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and, and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? You see here how clearly John paints the picture for us? True love is what Jesus Christ did for us. Hatred is having enough resources, seeing someone else in need, and not using those resources to meet that need. He gives a hypothetical question at the end. He says, how does the love of God abide in him? In other words, the love of God does not abide in him. You see, love is not just a feeling. Wow, I really feel bad for that person who's suffering. Love is displayed in action. It's an attitude that's displayed in action. And the converse is true as well. And John says that if you live a life of hatred, if you see a need and do not respond to it, if your life is habitually marked by hatred, then you are in the darkness until now. What does this mean until now. Why does John use that phrase? Why doesn't he just say at the end of verse 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness? Why does he add on this idea of until now? Well, this is the same uh, saying that he had been using all along with regard to the darkness. When a person comes to know Christ, he has fellowship with God. But a person who hates God and hates others cannot truthfully claim to be in fellowship with God. And so the point is, it's not that they're, they're in the darkness now that they've started hating. John is saying they always have been in the darkness. You see, it doesn't matter what they have been doing all along. If they are showing a pattern of hatred now, it shows that they never really were a believer. They have been in the darkness all along. He doesn't say, now that you start to hate, you're now in the darkness. You now are an unbeliever. No, you are always an unbeliever. And so, John is very serious about what happens to those who hate their brother. But the, the question that might arise in your mind, that definitely arise in mine, was why does he call this person a brother? Because... I'm suggesting to you that what John is saying is that this person is an unbeliever, the one who hates. And yet, look at verse 9 again. It says, "...the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother." So, is that referring to a believer or an unbeliever or what? I would suggest that that simply means that it's an alleged brother in Jesus Christ. It's an alleged uh, uh, partner in salvation. Someone that you allege to have fellowship with. But really, by your actions, you prove that that really is not your spiritual brother, your spiritual um, partner in Jesus Christ. And so, uh, John gives these results. He says first in verse 9 that... Um, or he says first that you will be in the darkness until now. And then he gives some more results in verse 11. 
He says, but the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. So John piles up three more results of those who hate their brother. He says that they are in the darkness, they walk around the darkness. I would suggest that those are the same. And then he says they don't know where they are going and the darkness has blinded their eyes. We've already talked about what it means to be in the darkness and we've talked about in chapter 1 what it means to walk around in the darkness. simply means they are unbelievers. They are living in sin. And so it makes sense that if they're walking around in sin that they don't know where they are going, where they are going eternally. And that that is the second result of those who hate their brothers. They do not know where they are going. The implication is that the one who loves his brother does know where he's going. And that is John's point in this book. Those who love, those who display these actions that he is calling us to do, prove that they really are a believer of Jesus Christ. We, they really do know where they're going. They have assurance of their salvation. But being in the darkness causes a person not to know where they're going. And thirdly, at the end of verse 11, it says, because the darkness has blinded their eyes. This is in contrast to the light which brings knowledge and purity and it helps you to see what is true and what is right. John chapter 3 and verse 19 says, Light has come, but men love darkness rather than light. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever. So, it, it, it is in keeping with what John is telling us here that those who, who hate other people prove that they, are, they never really were a believer and that they are really, in fact, under the uh, subjection of Satan. Their eyes are blinded to the truth. And so, you may say that you know God. You may say that you love God, but turn to chapter 4 and verse 8 because John says it's not enough to just say it. Chapter 4, let's begin in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Do you want objective in an objective test of your salvation? Do you want to be able to check your spiritual pulse? Ask yourself, do I love other people? Do I sacrificially give of myself to others? Am I willing to lay down my life, my life for other people? Sometimes we get so consumed in satisfying our own desire, our own pleasures, that we set everybody else's cares aside. And we think, you know what? Those burdens are for them to bear. Or those burdens are for someone else to bear. And when we do that, we show an attitude not of love, but of hatred. 
toward those people. And John is very clear that those who hate are not true believers. Look at your life. Are you characterized by hatred in general? Are you characterized by love? Because everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse chapter four, verse seven says that. Now you say, Well well I do love a lot of people. In fact, the general pattern of my life is that I love other people. It's just those few that I just can't. I'd rather just not deal with those people. Turn to Matt um, Luke, I'm sorry, Luke chapter six. And we'll finish here. Luke chapter 6. Jesus countered this type of argument. That, you know, I can love most people. You know, I can love people that are nice to me. But look what Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But Jesus says, verse 35, Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. You see what Jesus is saying here? You say, I can love people who are nice to me. That, that I can do. But it's just these, these few that I, I can't deal with. And Jesus says, what good is that? You see your unbelieving neighbors and your unbelieving family members, they do that too. There should be a difference in us as believers. We should be loving in a way that they could not even comprehend. And Paul says that, that when people interact with believers who are showing their love among other believers, they will see God's love in us and glorify their Father in heaven. That is true love. Loving even those who are unlovely. That is not easy to do. In fact, it is impossible for an unbeliever. And so... If you find trouble, if you find difficulty in loving people who are unlovely, then John is saying to you, you need to start loving. Start living what you say you believe. Don't tell me you love God if you don't love your brother. Don't tell me you love God whom you can't see when you don't love brothers or basically other believers who you can see. not enough to say it. It's not enough just to love a few people. True believers 
display their love by their actions, and their actions are shown to all people, those who love them and those who hate them. Are you a person who loves? If you are, then it should be displayed in your actions. Let's pray and ask God's help as we try to love each other and those around us, even this week. Let's bow together for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You again for Jesus Christ. We cannot stop thinking about His great sacrifice for us. And as we saw tonight, we're thankful for His great example because we as believers need um, to see how You want us to live. And what better way to see it than by watching the life of someone who did it perfectly. And although we understand that we will not be perfect with regard to sin in this life, we pray that You would help us to live a life of love toward other people. To set aside our own cares and personal preferences for the sake of others. And give of ourselves sacrificially for the benefit of the body of Jesus Christ. Lord, we often say that we love God, that we love You, and we often say that we love our Savior, but help us to display our love in our actions. Help us to be people who, when, when unbelievers come in our midst, they would be able to see the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts and be able to glorify You who is in heaven. Because, Lord, You are worthy of all praise. We pray that we would give of ourselves Give of ourselves through love to the world around us and especially to the body of believers that You have placed us in. And we pray these things on the basis of our great Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.